So there, there's, of course, an old Silicon Valley adage that if you go around asking for money, you'll get advice. And of course, the corollaries, if you go around asking for advice, you might get money. Um, generally, something I've found to be true that when I've gone to pitch and it's felt like a pitch and I get through the deck and they thank me for my time and we have handshakes, it went really badly. Welcome to another episode of The Top VC. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. I interview top CEOs, venture capitalists, and tech executives based in Silicon Valley and beyond. I ask them one question. What's one unconventional trend or strategy that's worked incredibly well? No fancy music, no fluff, boom. Um, so when, when I am having a casual social call and they interrupt a lot and it just feels like some friends jamming on a concept and talking about what could happen, those are the meetings that are going really well. So the, the, the more informal, unstructured and interactive it is, I tend to find that that correlates very strongly with you're building a personal rapport, personal connection there. They're being interactive and interrogating different aspects of your background, your interest, your knowledge of the area. And that gives them much more efficient signal on does this person know what they're talking about? And are they credible? Do I like them? Do I think they're going to make ethical choices? Do I think they have the grit to go and take this thing through? Do they understand their market? Can they make me believe that uh, they understand their market? Because that'll be needed to convince other people as well. And I think that's very different than the mental model that first-time entrepreneurs have where, okay, so there's a play and I'm going to do this performance in this play and there's words I got to say and there's slide decks that need to be put together just so. And if I perform this play just right and I don't stutter and I look confident as I'm walking through the deck, then at the end, there will be applause and a big check, right? Um, and 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 they polish their presentations. They, uh, I, I've received, I've seen terrible advice consistently given that it's really critical that you find professional talent to help you design every slide in your deck. And if you have to pay $25,000, kid, it's worth it because that's how people are going to take you seriously in serious Silicon Valley, right? Like you, there's, you got to get your deck down. It's got to be polished. It's got to be beautiful. Um, and that's just the cost of doing business. And I haven't seen, I mean, maybe some people have seen traction with that. And certainly I've seen some clever things done in decks where they are making good use of the recipient's time. Brilliant examples that we participated in uh, Drone Seed's latest round and their deck that they had shared around, I can't share with you because it was confidentially, but one design thing that they did that was, that was brilliant was that they'd make a big, bold claim with a clear infographic. And then at the bottom, almost as if it was like speaker notes, do you want to know more? Like, here's a seven minute loom video of me explaining this. Would you like to see the Forrester report on this eight pages? It's over here. It'll take you 12 minutes, right? And so there was, there was a notion of how long would it take you to go down this rabbit hole? So if, on each slide, there were rabbit holes, right? Like if you're the kind of investor who wants diligence, wants to go and learn more about the forestry industry, because you haven't invested in, let's say, a lot of forestry companies because you're Silicon Valley tech VC, right? Here's a quick primer where you can go learn about. You want to learn about our competitors? Cool. Watch this loom video over here, right? And so it's almost this hyperlinked deck, right? That linked out to a whole bunch of more meaty resources. If you had gone through all of them end to end, it would be like an hour and a half, two hour presentation. But it's like, if you just want to skim through like, oh, smells neat, cool, guy looks interesting, fine. You know, fuck it, we'll cut a check, right? <laughs> if that's the kind of investor you are, awesome. It's a form factor that works. If you're the kind of guy that likes to diligence and get into the weeds, all of the information is there. And the fact that he could deliver one work product that would work for a very wide range of personality types was brilliant. Chef's kiss, right? But um, that wasn't that he hired a designer to make his slides pretty and threw a lot of money just at 
cleaning it up, right? So I think like with any presentation, you want to first start from the narrative. What, what's the story that you're trying to tell? Who's your audience? What do you want them to come away with? Because they're not going to remember very much. And then you want to create a slide deck that uh, underscores that narrative. So instead of reading slides aloud, the slide deck is just illustrating the narrative that you've already created. And then I think that drill in structure where you, you can link out to more resources if people want to know more allows for a more choose your own adventure path through it and allows a static presentation to be closer to an interactive conversation. Because you'll find again, with a VC conversation that's going well, they'll interrupt you on slide two and like take things into uh, either uh, profound insight or often totally random tangent. Like, you know, but wait, what's your Google wave response? And how does this integrate with Skype? <laughs> and, and just like, yeah. And, Absolutely. And, and, and being able to answer those things crisply, candidly, and, and, and bring it back to a narrative about what you're doing and why it's important is, is ultimately the name of the game. Uh, but it's not just like perfecting your presentation of you giving this really polished, you know, 10 minute on a stage talk um, that everybody applauds and cuts you a check. Like that's just not the reality of it. Elevator pitch, yeah. Somebody should be able to ask you, yo, what are you doing? And you should be able to give an answer in 15 seconds, a minute, whatever. And having that be crisp for yourself is great. For your team is great. For potential hires is great. And PS, yeah, it's, it's great for getting that first spark of an interest from investors. But at the end of the day, it's about a relationship. It's about a conversation about the industry and the opportunity. That is so good because investors are people and they want to build relationships and they want to invest in other people that they trust. And when they feel pitched, just like anyone in a sales thing, I feel like it's just any, like the way we used to talk about sales, like just, you know, always be closing, always doing all these like systematic things. And you're the customer on the other side of it. And you're like, Dude, like you feel like you're being sold a used car. I know what you're doing. This is a Sandler script. This is right. You know, you're you're doing. You're walking me through the pain funnel right now, right? It just yeah. So when 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 somebody's feeling scripted and inauthentic, other people are very good at sniffing that out. Yes, I. This is so good, David. I was about to joke and say, um, well, so tell me the tactic that we should use to start doing this, <laughs> and that's the whole point: is that we have to be real. We have to know our stuff cold. We have to know if we're if we have an incredible business. Then it's kind of and there should be a, a compelling narrative, but like th that compelling narrative came out of your understanding, your observations uh, of what the opportunity is, of the journey so far. And so if somebody doesn't have questions, they can just sit and listen and they'll come away with a coherent story. But um, really, it's, it's about being able to have a dialogue about it. So one one trick I've seen that works great is you've got a short narrative deck that's 10, max 20 pages. If your main deck's more than 20 pages, you fuck something up. But then you have a reserve deck of like common questions. Like, you know, hey, with MedQuarter, it's like, hey, but like, how, how do you navigate HIPAA compliance? I'm like, I'm glad you asked. You know, page 27 from the reserve deck, right? Like an appendix. Right, right, right. And, and so that the reserve deck doesn't need to get emailed around, but when you're when you're chatting about it, just the fact that you can casually have it there, like, no, I anticipated all the questions you're gonna have. Like, oh, you wanna know about CCPA? Cool, slide 47, let's go on it, right? And it's like, and I think the meta bit there is like, oh, he's thought through this, he understands the industry he's operating in. What they're testing when they prod is like, if I ask you an obvious question and you're surprised or concerned or worried or defensive, those are huge red flashing lights, right? Like, but wait, isn't, isn't aren't recorded patient conversations EPHI? Like, oh, um, I, I, I guess I, I should check with my lawyer about that. That's a good point. Um, like, Absolutely. So like, so I think they're looking for, um, do you understand what you're talking about when, when they go and prod? And, and not only being able to have an answer, but having a prepared answer that's not part of just your standard deck, but that you can pull out um, really shows that uh, you've 
you've got not only a mental model of your industry really well, but also of your interlocutors, you know what kinds of questions they're likely to ask. And of course, if it's very likely they're gonna ask, you, you should find a way to address them in the main deck. But the reserve deck is another fantastic approach that shows that you've done your homework. Absolutely, because they assume that one thing that they asked, if you if, they, if you had a deck prepared for that, then there's a, probably a bunch of other things that you had prepared that you didn't bog them with because you also appreciated simplicity and just right. telling so them I, what- I, I, I could see you were interested. So I showed you slide 27 from the reserve deck and slide 45. We didn't talk about the other 72 slides because we don't need to. Um. <laughs> and they're like, this guy, he's, I'm going to, I love it. Well, so David, tell me how successful this has worked for you. Like how much money have you raised in your lifetime or, or how many companies have you invested in? Sure. So I've invested in about a hundred companies. I've created about three different venture vehicles, including uh, Mexican VC, Drone VC, and Neuron VC. Um, I've started three companies. The first company uh, raised a total of about $10 million that still going on about uh, almost 20 years after I founded it. Uh, second company raised a few million dollars and then sold that to Facebook. And third company, I was actually just intending to raise a friends and friend and family round and uh, met up with Mariana Senko and Steve Jervitz in a future ventures. And they said, uh, do we count as friends? Uh, can we be your friend? <laughs> and like, uh, maybe. And they're like, how about we make this the easiest round of funding you've ever done? Right. Again, it was conversational. It was casual. Mariana was, it was a friend I already knew. She had heard from a mutual friend. I was starting a company. She's like, can I drop by your garage? That's my garage behind me. Um, and, and just like, see how things are going. I'm like, sure. I would love to have you over. So she came by, we talked about it and she's like, oh, I should let you know what I'm doing. I started a fund by the way. And I'm like, Really? And she's like, yeah, how about you come by Steve's house tomorrow morning? We talk it through. I'm like, okay. So came by Steve Jervitson's house the next morning after we talked for an hour about the opportunity and about some of the other stuff Steve was looking at. Steve was like, yeah, let's make this the easiest fundraising round you've ever done. And I'm like, I guess that was a bitch, right? It, it, I literally, I was in my socks. Uh, I had one leg up on, uh, on the chair. Like we were just jamming. We were just talking about things. I did not have a slide deck. I was walking him through click, 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 click. Um, but like that, that was an example of uh, the so time sad. that it, it went really well, you know, and, and I'll acknowledge some of like um, I, I, some of the advantages that are that are kind of unfair in my background. I've been in Silicon Valley a long time. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's true. I'm a white guy who graduated with Stanford with a CS degree and I've been programming since I was very young. And those are sort of unfair sniff tests in terms of uh, cer certain tells in terms of uh, social proofs and the like. And, and, and the, 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 if you don't have that, you don't have that. And so I, I really respect people who come from uh, more off-axis backgrounds, uh, which is like the whole rest of the world, uh, who, who are going and trying to make a company that, that they, have to, they have to push harder. They do have to work harder. Um, they're, they're playing the game on a, on a more difficult setting. Um, and so some of these things are, are harder to do there. But I will say that one thing that I've seen apply for pretty much everybody in the space is that the Karma Bank is real. And if you're kind to other people, you invest in the ecosystem, you help other people out, it comes back to go and, and pay dividends because people will want to work with you. And conversely, if you screw somebody over, whether it was a, a founder on an investment or like a co-founder you went and uh, it worked on a deal with, um, it, that'll come back to haunt you in weird ways. Like your, your deal flow will start drying up and you won't ever fully be able to trace back like what's happening, right? So when I was doing my first company, there was a number of different entities that uh, tried to take advantage of my naivete and the fact that I was a first time founder and basically tried to scam me. And uh, I don't, I, I don't I don't forget. And it's not that it's about my grudge. It's about protecting other founders from predators in the ecosystem. And so when folks come to me and they ask about those entities and they're like, hey, I've got a deal on the table. I'm like, hell no, don't take their money. Right. And so it, it, I know that firsthand I, I, have, I have nuked a couple of their deals. 
um, decade plus later. And they'll never find out how that happened. It's in a handful of cases, maybe they did. Uh, in a handful, in a bunch more, I know they didn't. Um, but it's just like mysteriously, they keep losing out on great deals, right? And it's like the, the converse is true. So the karma bank is real, and it means like you got to be ethical, you got to be kind, you don't be mercenary, help people out. If somebody reaches out and like wants a hand, you don't have to give everybody a paycheck, you don't have to give everybody an hour of your time. But if somebody uh, asks for help and you know someone who could help, route them forward, you know, and it's it's not a tit for tat. And this is something that Silicon Valley does really well. Relative to most other uh, tech ecosystems, is that there's a real pay it forward mentality. When I was first year starting my first company, while I did have to deal with a bunch of sharks, I also had a bunch of just very kind people who were excited about the fact that I was a first time founder learning how to start a company with a background in technology, but no background at all in business, and who just went out of their way to help and in ways that I could never really repay. Uh, and so I, I, I try and repay that debt by myself, uh, paying it forward, helping coach people who are new to entrepreneurship, helping to route people to others who are, are gonna, gonna benefit from the connection, right? And just, again, paying it forward and then trying not to be a jerk in my relationships with other people. David, thank you so much. So you didn't pitch me, but like, I wanna invest. Just tell me what I would. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I get it though, but this is, the, this is the point. It's like, we built rapport, like just from the things you're saying, it's like, you're a real person who knows what he's doing. Like, I don't have to know all the little details about every single thing in your company. And we need to stop thinking like that as founders and start thinking like an actual investor would in terms of the person. Cause at the end of the day, that's one of the most important things. Especially early stage. Like it's it, the, the whole point of pre-seed and seed investing is they haven't yet got a slam dunk business model where it's just like some idiot can turn a crank and cash will spill out. You're betting that the team is going to be able to navigate their way through that, uh, through inevitable ups, downs, hard times, setbacks, and pivots, right? But it's like, is this somebody who I feel good about backing who I think is going to be able to grit it through and ultimately find something that makes a lot of sense? Boom. David, thank you so much. You bet.